Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website is scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Today, we are resuming our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're ready for chapter 6 and 7 this morning. Chapter 6 kind of deals with uh, some moral things. And then chapter 7 actually deals with marriage, where Paul will discuss kind of how that relationship works and how there's benefit uh, in remaining single, um, remaining pure, um, which we'll get to here in a minute. So that is what is on the agenda for this morning. I pray that these words will strengthen and encourage you. And uh, sometimes we got to put our little pet doctrines to the side and just let God's word be what it is and let God's word be true. And uh, we're, man, I tell you, some of the things that Paul is saying would be extremely challenged today uh, by people who call themselves Christians. And in fact, we're going to run into the that issue, an issue like that right out of the gate. So let's just get started because I'm limited on time this morning. Uh, Chapter 6, let's have a look. Verse 1. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, you are not competent to constitute the smallest law courts. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have a law court dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame, it is so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren, but brothers go to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. So please note, the issue here is pretty clear. Uh, There must be some issue with people within the church taking each other to court. And Paul's like, these matters should be actually handled by the church. He's like, we're, the church is made up of people who are going to be ruling and reigning with Christ, right? Who are going to be judging the world, who are going to be judging angels in eternity. So you're going to drag your brother or your sister off to court before pagans, basically, and have them who have no moral standards at all because ours comes from God, theirs comes from themselves, and let them make a ruling. He's saying, no, handle it within the church. Now, the church used to do these things. The church used to discipline. Um, the church used to resolve matters like the, I mean, these kind of issues historically were handled by the church. The problem is, is that today nobody... Everybody's a scholar in their own eyes. Everybody's a pastor in their own eyes. Everybody thinks that they all have the same authority and they don't view the church anymore as having any authority. I don't have to do what the church says. 
It's like you want to be part of the body, but then you loft yourself off and separate yourself from it and say, I'm part of the body. I just, I'm amputated. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm trying to say? There's no respect. There's no, uh, or anything for the church anymore. And I'm talking about Christians. Obviously the world, the world has no respect for the church. Why would they? I'm talking about those who are part of the body of Christ. And so this issue here is, is Paul simply saying, you guys should be resolving these small legal matters within the church and resolving them with each other, not bringing each other, dragging each other before judges who have no care for God and the ways of God. Like, why would, why would you do that? Verse 7, Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? Paul said, you'd be better off just to have taken a loss and just allowed yourself to be wronged than to be so foolish as to take, as to getting to, to sin yourself by dragging other believers in front of pagan judges. Like, you'd been better off just to, okay, I guess I'm just going to take a loss here. We're going to have to deal with this within the church, and there's going to have to be some repentance, and there's going to have to be some forgiveness. And, you know, that's, that's what he's getting at. On the contrary, verse 9, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Again, he's saying, why seek the heathen? They, they're not even going to inherit the kingdom of, kingdom of God. And then he's going to list some lifestyles that will not inherit the kingdom of God, which is controversial today for some reason. But hopefully you're getting a point. Here's what he says. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, those are people having sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor I'm sorry, nor the coveter, drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Could be more clear. You know, there's a documentary or something being, maybe it's already released. Um, I don't remember what streaming service is. I just saw the headline a couple days ago where they're literally trying to make a case and convince people that it's mistranslations here is why we have the word homosexual in the Bible, that that God never intended that we would view that as sin. Isn't that unbelievable? First of all, not true, and everything that's being spewed there is just misinformation and lies, and it's being done by people who aren't Bible scholars, true Bible scholars, who can read Greek. And number two, I don't even need the, the New Testament to, to know how God feels about that. I can go to the Hebrew scriptures, where he's very clear that it's an abomination to him. Okay, so stop it. Stop it. Oh, 
can't believe the world we're living in. Continuing on. So he mentions all these people. By the way, these are not, it's not that if you've ever committed this sin or that if you fail, it's, is this a descriptor of your life? Is this a descriptor of your life? You see, if we do any of these things, let's say we fail and we commit adultery, which according to Jesus is just lusting after another woman. Okay? The believer hates it and repents of it and is praying for God to help them overcome it. That's different than those who live it, love it, do it. <laughs> it's, it's a descriptor of them and their lives. Does that make sense? I hope it does. All right, so they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So you're saying, hey, you used to be these things, but then you came to Christ. Right, you see, when you come to trust in Christ, not only is there salvation that occurs, but there's transformation that begins to occur. You become a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. There's a change that happens. It's not instantaneous. But you begin to grow and become more like Christ. So you used to be these things. Now you're not. You're washed. Verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take away the member of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself with a prostitute is one body with her? Do you see the issue that Paul's dealing with? He's dealing with sexual immorality. He's like, look, a saved individual is part of the body of Christ, and your body is the temple for this Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So when you go and you commit heinous sin like sexual intercourse with a prostitute, it's not only you. Do you he's saying, do you see the consequence of what you're doing? You're taking your body that now belongs to God and, and actually possesses the Holy Spirit and doing something filthy with it. May it never be, he says. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? People don't understand the spiritual aspect of sexual intercourse. There's more going on there than just endorphins and pleasure. There's a spiritual thing happening there. There's a genetic thing happening there. There's a spiritual thing happening there. It's bigger than what I think people appreciate it for today. 
For he says, the two shall become one flesh. You're joining yourself to that person on a spiritual and physical and genetic level. We're not going to get into all the details of that. Let's continue on. Verse 17. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And now we're going to move on to teaching about marriage here, chapter 7. So he's going to transition right from these things are immoral, uh, specifically dealing with sexual behavior, because that was one of the big problems with the Corinthian church. Not much has changed, right? Not much has changed. Now he's going to do a little teaching on marriage that some would find controversial, but it's not because it's God's word. If you have an issue with it, that's you. If you don't like what God's word says, that's your problem. God doesn't answer to you. You answer to God. You don't decide what's good, right, and moral. God does. So let's take a look at it. Chapter 7 here. Verse 1. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. So please know, what I think Paul's getting ready to get into, I think it's a point that's made clear, is, look, from a spiritual aspect, when it comes to serving God, in many ways, you would be best off if you were single, right? Uh, why? Because, well, you wouldn't, have the, you wouldn't have responsibilities to this other person. And you could serve God and go wherever God calls you to go. And I think that's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, but what he's going to make clear is that's only true if you don't have like a strong desire for the opposite sex, with which most of us do. He's saying if you do have that desire, which is a natural human desire, you're better off to get married. Otherwise, that desire might drag you away and lead you to sin. <laughs> right? Now, that is the case for a majority of us, and it's natural and normal, right? God gives you hormones and desires for the opposite sex so that you will get married and create children, and that's the natural uh, way of life. Paul's saying, though, but if that's not a big thing on your radar, and you're not, like, burning within yourself with desire, you'd be better off to be single, you can then you can devote yourself completely to God. I believe that's the point that Paul is making and will continue to make here. The So he says, let's start here, verse 2, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You say, what's he talking about? Well, he's going to make it clear. Verse 5. 
stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so you may devote yourselves to prayer, and then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what he's talking about when your body's not your own and all that, he's saying do not deprive your spouse of intimacy. These things are very clear to understand. They're not hard. You got married. Part of your duties to your spouse, to the person that you love, is that intimacy. That sexual intimacy. He's saying don't deprive each other of this unless you come to agreement and say, hey, for two or three weeks we're going to fast from this activity so that we can focus on prayer and devotion to God. But he's saying then once that fast is over, then you need to come back together. And here's the danger. When you're depriving each other of that physical intimacy, you give way for Satan to come in and create temptation. It's, it's not hard to understand, right? It's pretty clear. But you may devote yourselves to prayer and to come together again. Why? So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Because we all have human desires. And Satan knows that this one, specifically, is the easiest one for him to cause us to fail in. But this I say by the way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish that all... Paul's saying this is not like a biblical tr- biblical commandment or anything. This is just my point of view, is what Paul's saying. I say this by way of concession, not by a command. What? So what is he referring to? Verse 7. Yet I wish that all men were even as myself am. Paul was single. However, each man has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. But I say, the unmarried and to widows, that it is good for them if they remain even so as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This isn't difficult. He's saying you're better off to get married than to sit around fighting lust all the time. It's, it couldn't be more clear. But he's saying, but if, but if you're okay with it, and it's not a struggle for you, I think it'd be best that you remain like me, Paul says, and just devote yourself to God. Verse 10. But to the married. Okay, so now he's addressing married people. I give instructions. Not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain un, unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. But the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. So here's the thing. You come to faith, let's say. Maybe you and your spouse are both unbelievers, but you come to faith. And now there's kind of a struggle because you believe in God and you believe in Christ, but your spouse doesn't which is going to cause some rub in the house, right? As long as your spouse still wants to be with you, 
You don't have the right to leave them just because now you're a believer and they're not. That's what he's saying. You can't. You don't. Have, you don't have a biblical authority to divorce them for that reason. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. Please note, this is not talking about salvation. Your husband, if you're a believing, if you're a woman and you believe, and you're saved, your husband isn't automatically saved just because he's married to you. This is talking about basically blessing, God's blessing on your household. Like he's going to benefit from you being a believer. Your children are going to benefit from you being a believer. That's what it's getting at. This is not talking about how they're just saved because they happen to be in a relationship with you. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So if you're a believer and your spouse is like, I can't deal with you and your Jesus and all this, and they leave you and divorce you, you're not, you know, there's no sin on your end, right? That wasn't you. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So he's saying stick out, stick out the relationship. Number one, because you, you're bound by the marriage that you did before God. But number two, the, your spouse might eventually come to faith because of your faith. Verse 17. I'm going to have to move quicker through these last 10 or 15 verses. Only as the Lord has assigned each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct all the churches. Was any man who was called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called uncircumcision? He is not to become circumcised. In other words, you don't have to do all these uh, ritualistic laws anymore. Circumcision is nothing, Paul says, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping the commandments of God. So the moral law, the commandments, that matters, Paul says. You don't have to go get circumcised or become uncircumcised, but you are expected to obey the commandments of God. That's Paul's words, not mine. Each man must remain in the condition in which he is called. Were you called while you were a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you were able also to become free, rather do that. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one of us is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who is by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. Paul says, okay, if you're a virgin, I have some thoughts for you. These are my opinions. Paul clearly says this, but they're opinions of one who is trustworthy because I serve Christ. I think, verse 26, then that this is good in the view of present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. 
But if you marry, you have not sinned, and if you virgin marry, she has not sinned, yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. <laughs> uh, Paul's very clear that if you don't have if you don't have strong sexual desires, that you're better. It's easier for you to serve the Lord if you don't marry. But he's not saying that it's bad to be married or it's or anything like that. Okay. So let's not take it too far because I can just see like the married person who's the, the guy listening who's mad at his wife. Oh, I should have never gotten that. That is not what the scriptures are teaching you. That is not what Paul's getting at. He's saying if you're already single, you're already a virgin and you're content with that. Stick, stick with that then and just serve God and devote yourself to God. That's the point he's trying to make. Verse 29, but this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none and those who weep as though they did not weep and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice and those who buy as though they didn't possess and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about things of this world and how he may please his wife. This is the point he's making, you know. Now you have another person, and you guys are one flesh, and there's a lot of work involved there. There's a lot of devotion. It's good. It's created by God. But he's just making the point. You have a lot more time to serve God if that wasn't the case. But he's already made the point, like, hey, you can't say, well, I'm a believer now, so I'm going to leave my, my wife. Or I'm a believer now, I'm going to leave my husband. I hope that I, I feel like I've had to be very, very clear about all of this. Because sometimes people are just looking for an excuse to do what is wrong. And try to justify it by taking scripture out of context. How he may please his wife and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and it must be so, let him do what he wishes, and he does not sin, let her marry." But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage does what will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. So Paul says, if you're, you know, is you got if you're married, you're bound to your husband. Make no mistake about it. But if your husband passes away at some point, you're free to remarry. But you, in my opinion, Paul says, you'd be better off if you just remained as you are. So, instead of trying to remarry or whatever, devote yourself to the Lord. Not as a commandment, he says, 
but as my opinion about you'll be happier this way. Okay. <laughs> All right, there you have it. I hope that you've been blessed. I'm sure some people are like, well, take it up with God, please. <laughs> I'm just reading the scriptures. I'm grateful for all of you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Peace and grace be with you all. And until next time, God bless.